0: Well, some of you prayed for us this past week. Gaylord Enz and I facilitated a pastor's prayer summit up at Tahoe. And yes, it did snow on us. And it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And that just helped us focus even more to learn how to love one another, to build relationship, and to pray together. So we're talking about Oroville, Chico, Paradise, Glen, Clank County, which would be Cape, Orland, And then Grass Valley, I think I got everybody, all the cities that were represented, multiple denominations. Just an amazing opportunity for us as a region to pray into, Lord, what is it that you have for us? And so more about that later, but um, was very encouraged and felt um, like that was an important step for us. Right, Gaylord? So uh, good stuff. Um, We definitely had a Celtic flavor this morning. If you're interested in going to Ireland on a pilgrimage, I'm just gonna throw it out there, we'll see kind of where the interest is. You can text to my text line, which the number is, I don't remember it, so I have to read it to you, 530-296-3689. That's 530-296-3689. Text the word Ireland to that, and make sure you give me your name as well. Um, And we can talk a little bit about what the details might look like. This is not committing you to anything. This is just saying, I'm interested. We took a trip uh, with 15 people last year and had an amazing experience there. So there you have it. Well, let's talk about my favorite saint, St. Patrick, who was never officially sainted. It's just true. He's a saint. Why? Because he's a holy one. He's a follower of Jesus. And those who are followers of Jesus are holy ones. We are all saints. Therefore, it's fair and legal and right to call him St. Patrick. He is absolutely my favorite for many reasons. But just to give you a, a quick overview, he is a dreamer. St. Patrick was a dreamer. What do I mean by that? Well, he is a slave in Ireland. He's just a teenager, and he's on the slopes of Slemish, this hill, where he said he learned to pray a 100 times a day, even more times at night. (coughs) Excuse me. And as he's there on the slopes, he has a dream after six years of being a slave, and the dream, in the dream uh, of... an angel comes to him and says, your, your prayers have been heard. It's time for you to go home. There'll be a ship coming and you're going to be walking some 200 miles across through the forests and the bogs and you're going to come to a place where there's a ship going to England or going to where you're, you're from. Get up, go. And so he does. He goes and he finds this ship and it was this dream that led him to the place where he would then take this ship back home. He gets home and you would think, oh, well, after you've been a slave, pirates have captured you, your life has been miserable, maybe you just kind of take it easy. No. He actually gets this vision, one, one more time, there's this this dream, and uh, I, I wrote down the the text from what he says in his confession. I saw a man coming, as it were, from Ireland. His name was Victoricus, and he carried many letters, and he gave me one of them. I read the heading, The Voice of the Irish. As I began the the letter, I imagined that in that moment I heard the voice of those very people who were near the the wood of Folklet which is beside the Western Sea. And they cried out as with one voice, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. And so it's this vision that he has from the Lord. It's a calling for him to go back to this place where he was abused, he was a slave. And he says, okay, but I see the vision, but it's gonna take me a little time before I'm prepared to do that. What's going on? Here's Patrick, and he's looking, and he sees this vision. He has this dream of going back to Ireland. It's, it's a ways off. What he realizes, and sometimes we don't realize, is that there's about a 12 to 15-year gap in there where he goes to France to get training so that he's prepared to take on the mission in Ireland. And sometimes, the truth is, you've got to go to France before you go to Ireland. Sometimes, the Lord needs to take you into the desert to shepherd sheep for 40 years before you're ready to lead God's people if you're Moses. Sometimes, if you're the Apostle Paul, you have to at least spend three years in the desert, some argue more, of training and discipleship before you're ready to take on being an apostle. And God sometimes gives us a dream or shows us a picture or a vision so that we would have faith because there's going to be some detours. There's going to be some times when we go to France before we go to Ireland. And so God gives us these pictures, these dreams, these things. Why? Because his still small voice is always speaking. And this is the series that we're in. If you want to catch up with us on the, on the YouTubes, you can find the Facebook channel And away you go, you can see all the messages and catch up. But we're in a section where we're talking about dreams and visions. Now, um, I normally throw my boxes around, but I think today, especially since I'm sharing the stage with a harp, I'll just show them on on the screen. Because there are four key building blocks that I've talked about to posture our hearts so that we can hear God's voice. The first is humility, and I think it's the most important. Why? Because no one wants someone to say, God told me this, that you got to do this just want to slap them so hard. (laughs) Humility always draws the presence of God. And the gifts, the spiritual gifts are always practiced best when there's a level of humility. God's working on all of us in that way. The second for me is stillness and quieting my own heart. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46 says. And oftentimes, even in the midst of busyness, you can still, still your heart and say, okay, Jesus, I'm with you right now. What is it that you want to say? I'm tuning in, I'm listening. What is it that you have to say to me? The third is purity. The pure in heart will see God. And this section specifically is all about dreams and visions, the things that we see. And I believe that as I say no to temptation, I'm able to walk in more and more purity, the clearer I get I'm hearing and seeing things from God. And lastly, perseverance. Just to fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of him because he's always saying something. Always be looking for him. The last one is a bonus, and that is release your burdens to Jesus first. This is just my thought, that it's a lot easier when I cast my anxieties on him knowing that he cares for me. And then I could take a deep breath and say, all right, Jesus, what is it that you have to say to me? Okay, so... I love stories, and here we go. Catherine Redmond, come on up here. We celebrated Catherine and Michael Redmond's 30th anniversary of their wedding. Ap- applause, 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 applause. That was, it's been pretty fun. Ken and Yvette, good to see you. Really glad you're here. Very fun stuff, and um, back in the day, I was Andy, and this was Kathy, and that's Mike out there. We go by Andrew, Catherine, and Michael now. Why? Because we're grown up. But one of the things that we knew, I knew Michael before you decided to say yes to him. And um, well, some of us wondered if maybe he would be a curious uh, match for you. Um, But it was God who actually spoke to you. Tell us this story, because it's a very fun one.
1: Yeah, so there's a number of stories. I told one last night. But um, the one I wanted to share with you today, because it was just such a unique moment for me, is that Michael and I had, um, we dated long distance, got engaged, I was in seminary. And um, when I, we had one semester, I had one semester of seminary left before um, I got to move back to the Bay Area and, and uh, move forward in this relationship. And so what happened was as soon as I was away from Michael and I went back into the seminary environment, I, I certainly had professors who had plans for my life and Michael didn't fit them. Um, that was a problem because he was going to take me away from there, and they wanted me to stay and teach. And, and there's a whole bunch of, of reasons that I won't go into why it just didn't seem like Michael was the right guy for me from a lot of perspectives. And um, I, I had had the Lord speak to me already, so I knew that I was, I was supposed to say yes to marry him. But when I got back to um, seminary, I started just having this um, just doubt and fear Have you ever just lived in that low level anxiety where no matter what you do, you just feel like something's off and you just can't find like peace and settle in? So that was what I was experiencing. And this is back before cell phones and texting. So Michael and I are talking on the phone like three hours a night and he's sensing my rising anxiety, poor fella. Um, So come to one afternoon, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I went to my favorite place to study, which was Carl's Jr. That's where I used to study,
0: too. We went to seminary at the same place. Yes, so, right yeah. down the
1: street from this, like, yep. Carl's Jr. Four o'clock in the afternoon, yep. sunny day, beautiful day. Um, it is, like, I've got my, my fries and my Diet Coke so that I can feel better about the fries. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting there with pen and paper, and I start writing a letter to Michael, and, like, just basically, I'm so sorry that I'm struggling. You know, here's what's happening. And, and a lot of the struggle, just so you understand, wasn't just him not seeming like the right person for me, it's that I hadn't always made great choices. And so I didn't trust me. And so there was that fear, like what if I'm just making a bad choice here? And, and so I start writing to him. And in the middle of that writing, I had a waking vision. So I stopped writing and, and I have no idea what I looked like. I wish I knew someone who'd taken a picture, but. I literally had this waking vision, and what happened in the vision was that I was little, like, you know, 18 months, whatever, just a little kid, and I was in this living room, and I, and there was other little kids around, and I was trying to learn how to walk. So I would pull myself up, and I'm on the couch, and I'm holding myself, and holding the furniture as I'm trying to walk, and there's other kids that are walking across the room. They're just doing fine, and I am terrified to let go of the couch. It's just not going to happen, and then Michael comes into the room, and he's little too, <laughs> in my vision. We're just little humans. Still little, but okay. Um, and he takes my hand and leads me across the living room floor. And then the front door opens, and we go outside and down the steps, and there's this huge expanse of grass and this kids' playground in the distance. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if you want to not just walk across the living room floor, but go across that expanse and climb that playground structure, this is who I have for you. And then it was over and I came out of that and there was this intense level of peace and I'm 30 years in and it has never left. They're the ups and downs. That's right, that's right. And I've asked God if he would do that again on multiple occasions about other situations. So far, <laughs> A no takers. about that. One. No, he
0: likes to do it, <laughs> things differently every time. Uh, tell me one more story, because I know, like me, you like the float tank. And so there's something about total quiet, total isolation, where it seems like God's kind of got our attention. There's nothing else to compete except for our own thoughts. You had one recently. Just tell us that real quickly.
1: Yeah, so I spent some time March 4th in in the float tank. And to give this context, um, I spent January and February of this year just really, really deeply struggling. I was just in a place where there was just, there was so much sadness. And and so there was sadness, I was dealing with the pain of other people, I was just processing how hard things are. And I was also struggling with a lot of, again, just, Michael and I are stepping into some large things and I, I was struggling with just apprehension. Do I, do I have what it takes to step into those things? Am I brave enough? Am I young enough? <laughs> is there enough left in the tank to do some of these things? And I was just really, really struggling. Like if you looked at my journal during that period of time, you would see you know, Psalm 42, why so downcast, oh my soul? Like what is happening? And I just was struggling and struggling. And I was praying and I was writing and leading a Bible study. I mean, you'd think I'd be able to, I could not find a way out. I was just really wrestling. So I'm in the float tank and um, it's a deprivation, total silence kind of thing. And I, I just said to the Lord, I said, I just, I just need a strategy. I don't know what to do. I just need something to do. And the Holy Spirit so kindly said, you need to kneel every day because you need to demonstrate to your own soul and to the enemy of your soul who you worship. And it needs to be physical so that you know, and the enemy knows, and the hosts of heaven know you need to kneel. So since then, I can't say I've done it perfectly every day, but I kneel most days. And, and, and the transformation, the, the move out of that place of darkness happened within probably four or five days of that event. And I've just been able to, yeah, like, the world is still sad, and I'm okay.
0: Yeah, that's (laughs) excellent. Thank you. Sometimes the answer is actually more, yeah, you can clap for her. Sometimes the answer is more simple than you could imagine, and the Lord is willing to share if we're willing to listen And for Catherine, um, she was making a decision that was taking her out of her paradigm, out of her comfort zone with this young man named Michael. And and yet, she was seeking God and saying, God, I I don't want to move until you show me what's next. And God gave her that vision. Now, I think about visions as daydreams. So if that helps you, then you're welcome. Uh, There's just, I daydream all the time. And some of my daydreams are just about, you know, like, what would it be like to play center field for the Giants? Or what would it be? You know, like, some things are strange, but other things are like, where did that come from? And that's when you need to just say, pay attention, say, Lord, is that you? Or is that just that I had too much lunch and I need to cut back? Um, I want to take you to Acts 10. Acts 10. We have uh, a little bit of dreams and visions going on here and I, and I want to just highlight them real quickly uh, because we've got, the, it's the beginning of the church and Peter is trying to get it through his mind that non-Jews can embrace Jesus and be changed and saved and set free by, by Jesus. That Jesus isn't just, didn't just come for the Jewish people but for all people. And so, um, at this place called Caesarea, there was a man, this is in verse one, if you want to read along with me, named Cornelius. He was a centurion who was known what, in what was known as the Italian regiment. So he is not a Jew. That's the point. He and his, all of his family were devout and God-fearing. In other words, they were trying to pursue God as much as they could. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. He wasn't just a good guy. He was trying to go after spiritual things. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, this other city, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. This is where it's like very specific. This is where you're going to find the guy. This is where he's staying. This is his name. Only the Lord can reveal things like that. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So they're going off on an errand, My boss has seen this vision and we need you to come and hang out. About noon, verse 9, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the rooftop to pray. So this is one of the 12 disciples who was called now an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. He's just come off his greatest moment ever, I think, where he's healed this lady from being dead and raised her back to life, which is awesome so you know he's he's doing well but he's on a learning curve so he went up on the roof to pray he became hungry and wanted something to eat like most of us who pray We start getting hungry. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. In other words, he's seeing something, a daydream of some sort. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replies. He's really good at um, arguing with God. Are you like that? Uh, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Wow, that's quite a statement. It might be true. The voice spoke to him a second time. Why? Because God's a repeating God. He doesn't want you to miss it. He's not going to say, oh, that was a one-time impartation. Sorry. No. He's going to make sure you get it. Why? Because he loves you. Dude, the voice said to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back into heaven. Peter's wondering about the meaning of the vision. Good news. Even people who are apostles wonder about what was that, okay? So you're all good. Even he's like, that Paul guy, he's hard to understand. So you're in good company. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate, They called out asking if Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. Peter was still thinking about the vision. Still going, God, what was that? The spirit said to him, because when you ask God a question, he's delighted to answer. If you want to learn how to hear his voice, you need to start asking him questions and then pausing and waiting for him to answer. You might feel silly, but I promise it has helped me every single time I've tried. So the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. This is the confirmation from the Holy Spirit. Hey, you kind of have a hard time sitting down for a meal with these people who are not Jews. That's culturally what's going on. Yeah, no, don't. Just go. Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. In verse 28, dropping down, he talks to the people in this house and he says... You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you've sent for me? The rest of the story is beautiful. Cornelius says, we want to know this Holy, we want to know this Jesus. And salvation comes to the entire house. But this is a hinge point in the book of Acts. As Peter is learning, things are a little bit different than I thought. Jesus actually came for all peoples. And this is blowing my mind right now. But I had to have a word from God in order to know this is okay. Catherine had to have a moment with God to go, yes, Michael. After 14 times of asking me to, to, and proposing true story, the 15th time she says yes. And it blew his mind because he didn't expect it. But when you hear from God, you have the confidence and the peace to step out. I want to show you one more fun passage. Because Joseph of Nazareth in 6 BC, there's five dreams in about, I don't know, less than a chapter. So we're going to speed through these really quick. Because, like Catherine... Joseph is having a crisis. You see, he is betrothed. He is pledged to be married. He has a fiance, and it's like, almost like a legally bound thing in their culture. You would have to get a divorce if you're gonna break an engagement. These days, you just say, give me my ring back. I'm like, no, not, this is is a big deal. So he's engaged. This, and what happens? Before they came together, she found, Mary found, she's with child by the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You had to technically get a divorce if you were going to break up with your betrothed. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And the angel goes on to explain, this is going to be Jesus, the one who will save his people. And Joseph obeys. It takes a radical experience with an angel in a dream from God for Joseph to go, okay, Mary hasn't just been catting around and got pregnant. Like, this is from God. Okay, I'm I'm willing to go through with this. Well, so, of course, if you know the Christmas story, you know that they make the trip to Bethlehem down south, and while they're there for the census, Jesus is born. And after Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Matthew 2, there are these magi, these people who come from the east, and you think of them as three kings because they bring frankinc- um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There may have been more. Who knows? There's just three gifts. So we're just going to assume there's three guys and so then they're coming and they ask King Herod, hey, we've seen this, this star. We know that there's a new king that's been born. Where is he? We've come to give, you know, give credit to him. And Herod's like, oh, uh, I don't know. But if you find him, let me know so I can go worship him too. Herod, who is an absolute rascal, wants to kill Jesus as soon as he finds out who he is. Magi go on their way. They show up and you know, populate your nativity set. So you've got lots of people with camels and gifts and they give the they present the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and uh, verse 12 of chapter 2 and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they return to their country by another route so now we've got a warning dream a different kind of dream here in this passage we're going to see three more warning dreams in a row ready And after this warning dream, when they had gone, next verse in 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. There's a lot of dreams going on here. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so... He got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. I love Joseph's willingness to obey right away. This dude obeys. I mean, like, its he doesn't say, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to hit the snooze button. I'm going to wait till the morning, and then I'll obey. God's not interested in you waiting around to obey. Selective obedience is not obedience at all. Delayed obedience is not obedience at all. When God says move, it's time to move now. Why? Because his divine timing is perfect. So Joseph steps through and he goes to Egypt. Now he's in, there in Egypt for a season. And uh, verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to a dream. in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and said, "Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take his, the child's life are dead." So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. All he does is obey. All Joseph does is obey. He's amazing. There's a second part, though. So he goes to Israel, and he goes, uh uh-oh. There's When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So here's Joseph. He's like, oh, man, Lord, I know you sent us back, but I'm afraid. It is so okay to tell God you're afraid when you're afraid. He knows already, but it's really healthy for you to admit it. I'm afraid. God, help me. I need your peace. What does God do? Having been warned in a dream. There is a fifth dream here. He withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled that it was said to the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Five dreams in such a short period of time. And many were warning dreams. I was talking to my friend, um, Brian Palmer, and he was telling me a story last night about the fact that God gave him a warning, showed him a a, a crashed car. He had this beautiful car when he was overseas in the the service, and he saw this picture, and he just kind of blew it off. It was no big deal, but less than two weeks later, right, totals his car, and it was a warning dream, and if you ask Brian, he would say, oh, if I just would have paid attention to the signs... I could have been saved a lot of trouble. Well, when we think about dreams, I think one of the most important things to remember is you need to pray about your dream life. You need to pray about your dream life. Why? Because, well, your dream life can be a dangerous place or it could be a glorious place, right? I've shown you this picture before. We have dreams from three different sources. From the enemy, that's, that's where all your nightmares and gross stuff comes. You have your own, your own stuff that you're trying to figure out, right? This is me, like, trying to work out, see, how do I solve that problem? And how in the world am I going to do that? And, you know, those work dreams that you have, that's just, that's your own thoughts. But then there's these divine dreams. You wake up and you go, that was different. And we want to pray for those kinds of dreams, and less of the other two. Now, if you want to work out your problems in your dreams, you just go ahead. But I'd rather just say, Lord, will you give me the solution? Will you give me the solution in the midst of a dream? Because I believe that God gives solutions as we sleep. Here's another idea for you. Maybe you need a dream journal. It could be just a piece of paper next to your bed if you want. It doesn't have to be fancy. But if you have a dream, just write it down so that you can pray through it and, and maybe share it with someone else and say, can we pray about this together? Maybe the Lord is in this. Or maybe I'm just eating too much pizza. I want to share with you a dream that came in from my friend Jen Redeker. Thanks, Jen. And this was in your dream journal. That's why it's so specific. But if you want to close your eyes, I just want to read you this dream. I want you to picture it. The, it was the library of heaven. It was an amazingly rich dream where I was allowed to access an amazing library. I had a role of tending to the library, keeping it ordered and guarding it. The shelves were high, made of dark woods, and were full of books in every language, time, and place on earth. There were even heavy wooden tables in areas between the shelves that were piled with beautiful books. Many with writing I could not decipher or recognize, being certain that they told the stories of God's work on other planets and from far reaches of the universe. They were all leather and linen and gilded and lovely to see and touch. It was a place of peace and hope and joy. It was huge, the shelves stretching out into the distance further than the warm light of the lamps could reach. I even saw chalk survey lines on the floor mapping out where more shelves would be built and filled with books. These lines, too, radiated away from the main collection forever in the distance, beyond where the light could reach. I had full access and authority to do as I pleased. Moving in, wonder, and being very much at home there. There was also a bookshelf with TV screens in the openings that were cycling through videos and pictures of saints who had been lost, killed, or hidden away. God knew where each were. None were outside of his sight or reach. I was also led to go these big, heavy, wooden double doors, sort of like the doors to Moria in The Lord of the Rings. Outside, there were steps leading down to more common areas with a deep, plush, red carpet. People were trying to gain access to the library that were not sanctified. They were trying to sweet-talk their way inside, but I was there be- beside the security personnel that kept them from entering. And there was a lot of witchcraft and evil about those people. You want to have a dream like that? I do. Because I believe that Jen has saved this dream to say, Lord, what is it that you want to unpack? What is it that you want to say about who I am? Because clearly there's authority that she has. Clearly there's a sense of being safe in God's presence. And clearly there's a sense of God being willing to reveal things to us. Well, I've been praying a prayer for some years, and that is, Lord, let me hear the music of heaven. And in this season, just learning how to orchestrate music and create what I believe is the music of heaven has been my great delight. Why? Because God will wake me up with a song in my mind. And sometimes I'll sing it into my phone because I don't have any other thing to so that I can remember it, and I want to capture it, and I don't want to lose it. This guy, recognize him? Albert Einstein. He writes about a dream he had when he was young. I was sledding with my friends at night. I started to slide down the hill, but my sled started going faster and faster. I was going so fast that I realized I was approaching the speed of light. I looked up at that point, and I saw the stars. They were being refracted into colors that I'd never seen before. I was filled with a sense of awe. I understood in some way that I was looking at the most important meaning in my life. So, this is before the turn of the century, the last turn of the century. He said this I knew I had to understand that dream. And you could say, and I would say, that my entire scientific career has been a meditation on my dream. He also further says, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are mere details. I don't know where Einstein was with Jesus, but I know that that's a very interesting concept to come from him. Why? Because God wants to reveal his wisdom. We see this in Solomon. We see God experiencing Solomon in 1 Kings 3. He says, what do you want? He says, I just want a wise and discerning heart. God goes, good choice. I'm going to give you all the rest. And who makes Solomon one of the wisest men ever. Last point. Sometimes in dreams, you'll dream about someone. And you guys are doing a good job reporting to me. By the way, I'd love to hear more stories. You can email info at ncchico.org. Uh, send me your stories. Or you can find ways to find me and, and let me know. I would love to, ha- to either share your stories or I'll always get permission. I will never do it without permission. But if someone comes up in one of your dreams the first thing you should do is pray for them. The first thing. You can ask the Lord what the, me, the dream means later, and it doesn't mean you have to always share the dream because the context of them in the dream might not have been very pretty, and we don't know where that's coming from. So, but if the Lord brings them to mind, please, 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 And I was talking to one of my friends in the back, and she was saying, yeah, we started talking about dreams and stuff, and now I've been having these dreams, and the Lord's been showing me what to do. And waking up in the middle of the night, yep. Isn't that great? Why? Because God's talking to us. And he wants to move us into an adventure, this life of adventure that we call the life to the fullest. Nothing else is like it. I just can't wait. Every time I go to bed, like, Lord, what is it that you're going to give me tonight? What solution for an issue at work do you have for me? What new strategy do you have for me so I can connect with my kids? Lord, what song do you want to put on my heart? I have this little Irish real that came into my mind yesterday afternoon, and I was singing it into my phone really quick because I was trying to work on my sermon, and we were doing the Ducky Derby out here, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose this. Why? Because it's the music of heaven that God is sharing with me, and I want to live in those moments and then share them with the world. Why? Because I believe that they're shared with me to be a blessing to others. So, allow me to pray for you, and then I think that y'all have some stuff planned, and Jesus, thanks um, that you're always speaking. Thank you, Lord, that this church is here because you were speaking to Ken and Weva so many years ago. Thank you for raising up sons like me in this house. What a privilege it is to come back as a son to be the father. And as a father, I... Lord, I just really want to live this naturally supernatural lifestyle well. So I pray that you would teach us to hear your voice, to be sensitive to dreams and visions, pictures and things that you show us. May every time that we pray be informed by the will of heaven. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness. Amen.